Yep, I'm already. <laughs> so nobody sees us, right? That's right. <laughs> okay, that's good for them. <laughs> <laughs> Tedford was born with brain damage that left him with the intellectual ability of a fourth grader, deaf in both ears, legally blind in one eye, partial paralysis on his left side, and difficulty speaking until the age of 10. A remarkable combination of Helen Keller and Forrest Gump. As he grew up, he continued to face even more challenges, but his heart, his faith, and his sense of humor have helped him create the life story that he wanted that of being a master storyteller and inspiring others. Now, best-selling author Paul Smith is one of the world's leading experts on organizational storytelling. His work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Inc. Magazine, Time, Forbes, and Success Magazine, to name just a few. Well, when the two of them met at a storytelling festival, Kenny found a man to write his memoir, and Paul met a man who would teach him a cornucopia of beautiful lessons as he listened to the stories that Kenny, now a master storyteller, motivational speaker, actor, and comedian would tell him. Stay tuned to hear my interview with both men as we catch them on their book tour. And I'm excited to hear Kenny tell some of his own stories. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story Power serves you best when you know how to use it. sat down with the book, Four Days with Kenny Tedford, doing my research and thinking I would read some, skim some, and do enough reading to conduct a successful interview. After all, it's 330 pages. I figured there was going to be some skimming. But as I pulled into Kenny's stories, one after another, chronological stories, starting when Kenny was a child and making his way through his adult life, grade school to college, there are stories of learning about the word retarded learning about racism, being bullied, but also stories about interactions with strangers and unseen angels, stories about Kenny making the world better one touch at a time and overcoming cancer, heart attacks, breaking his neck, the death of his parents, heartbreak, and even sadly being molested. The difficulties in Kenny's life have not stopped him from living his childhood dream of being a storyteller and motivational speaker. And I'm excited for you all to hear a few of his stories firsthand today. So Paul and Kenny, welcome both of you to the Love Your Story podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I look forward to meeting you. Thanks for having us on. Paul, I'd like to start with you. And can you tell us how you and Kenny met? Yeah, so we met at that storytelling festival back in 2012 we were both speaking on different stages at the same time. So we didn't know that the other one was a performer at the festival. But then after that, we both ended up attending the same performance of another storyteller. And I went and sat on the front row as I normally do. And most people don't. <laughs> and so, uh, but right before the performance started, Kenny came walking down the aisle uh, and took the seat right next to me along with his sign language interpreter 
which I just found fascinating. He was the only deaf person I noticed at the entire festival. So I knew that I wanted to meet him very quickly after that. And I did. And we just struck up a, a very quick and beautiful friendship. Well, what made you want to write his book for him? How did you even so, know he wanted to write a book? Yeah, a great question. So um, at the time, my first book had just come out where it was scheduled to come out within a week or two. And I, that's about the time I signed the contract with my publisher to write a second book. So the first one was lead with a story for leadership purposes. The second one was scheduled to be uh, and was parenting with a story. So I knew I needed to find a hundred interesting people somewhere in the world who had interesting life lessons to fill the pages of this book. It was going to be 101 life lessons uh, from interesting people somewhere in the world. And after meeting Kenny, um, I, I knew he was the first person I wanted to interview for the book. And, and so I did. And at, I think it was exactly 39 minutes into that interview. And I know that because of course I recorded these interviews. Uh, he'd already told me a handful of just amazing stories. And I just needed one for one page of the book. And that's when I asked him, I said, gosh, have you ever written all these stories down? Well, I think you could write a whole book just yourself. And he said something like, well, yeah, people ask me that all, all the time, but I just, I can't write. That's just part of my challenge is I, I, I'm not a writer. I can speak and I can tell stories, but when I try and write it down, it just doesn't come out right. So he said, I've always wanted somebody to write my book. And that's when I said something that probably surprised me as much as it did to him. I, I said, well, I'll do it, Kenny. I'll write your book. And that was the moment the journey started. That's wonderful. So the book is called Four Days with Kenny Tedford. For those four days, Kenny came into your home with your family and shared stories with you. And you that, that was your main research, correct? That's right. That, that was the first four days. We had a few other days here and there together, but the bulk of our interviews took place right here in this house in those first four days together. Yes, with my wife and two kids, not too far away within earshot much of the time. Uh, and so that's why, as, as you read through the book, you realize the book is not just a chronology of his life, but is basically putting you in the position of watching our interviews and seeing me ask the questions and him answering the questions and me, you know, reacting to that and, and, and reflecting on the wisdom that I'm finding in those stories, as well as my wife and kids who got to listen to many of them as well. You get to read their reactions to them also. Well, and that was going to be my next question is tell us about the impact that Kenny had on you and your family when he was there for four days. Yeah. Well, so there's nothing like watching someone else's life go past your eyes <laughs> to make you reflect on your own. And, you know, as he was telling his stories of, you know, being bullied as a child, of course, I wondered, you know, I thought about, you know, times I was bullied. Uh, and then I thought more importantly about times maybe I was the bully. And then he talks about times in his life where his parents, you know, did something uh, amazing and then maybe did something uh, not so amazing. And I, you know, and then I reflected on what were my best parenting moments and then, gosh, what were the moments that I'm most ashamed of as a parent? And so it makes you very introspective to watch somebody's whole life go by and you examine your own with a new set of eyes, you know, through his eyes, you know, and how would he, if, you know, how would he have responded if I had behaved the way I did in front of him or if, if he was my child, if he was my parent, you know, so it became a very introspective uh, experience. And I'm certain that I came out of it being a better husband and father, uh, having been through the process. 
You know, I think it's an introspective experience, even as you read the book, because as Kenny was telling some of his stories, and particularly I, the one I remember where I was most introspective was the one about his father and the parenting and having courage as a parent to push your children. And I just, because I started, again, taking stock personally of, was I having enough strengths? Because I'm to a space where I want to make life easier for my children. I don't want them to, you know, have to suffer. And so then I thought, well, is that really doing them any favors? You know, and, and so it, it was great because there was some introspection there and some learning. And Good. That's the idea. In fact, in the last chapter of the book, as you know, we tried to summarize the life lessons that we both learned going through Kenny's life. And so uh, certainly you'll come to your own conclusions as you read through it, but we tried to summarize what we thought the life lessons were at the end. So that list is in the back of the book, but what would you say for the audience real quick, the top three things you learned from Kenny were? God, well, first of all, Tell the people you love, you love them and do so often because Kenny, you know, I, I don't want to give away too much of the book, but he lost a, a number of people important to him. And some of, some of them, he had the fortune to have had those be his last words to them and some he did not and dearly regrets it to this day. So that would certainly be one. Another one would be, especially if you have people in your life who have different abilities and challenges, whether that's deafness or blindness or people who have mobility issues or learning disabilities or any of the above or multiple others, many lessons about how to treat them and to help them succeed and thrive as best you can by treating them like as much like an, of a normal person as you can. You know, I learned so many lessons about in that vein, like don't introduce your friend as your deaf friend. He's your friend. Uh, you don't need to warn people. They'll figure it out soon enough. You know, he, he likes to say, uh, would you like me to introduce you as my ugly friend? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> people will figure that out soon enough on their own. They don't need to be told. Right? So uh, treat people as, a, as normal as you can. Um, and then I think uh, we asked for three, so I give you a third. And that would be if you are a person who lives with some of those challenges to view yourself as a teacher, not a victim. People don't know how to behave around you. And oftentimes they'll try very hard and they'll try too hard and it will make you and everyone else uncomfortable and they'll do the wrong thing and they'll ask the wrong question. They'll ask uh, stupid questions. They'll ask hurtful questions sometimes. And he's sitting next to you, nodding his head. <laughs> Just yeah. for the audience. He's like, yeah. Especially, amen. Yeah. Especially <laughs> if they're children. They just don't know how to behave around someone with different abilities. And Kenny's point is, let them. Let them ask whatever silly, stupid, possibly hurtful question and answer them. And then if you want to teach them a better way to ask it later, you can. But be a teacher. Teach them first. Don't be a victim. So many good lessons. Kenny, what do you think of the book now that it's finished? Well, I, I never thought it would go that far as it has so far. I mean, it's just been a short two months, three months. And we, me and Paul, just, I'm assuming you may know, we just returned from a 12-day book tour and made a return talk, mostly Paul. And um, today was, uh, well, I guess everything every day gets better and better. But today, is, I wish you were here. I wish you were like a, a butterfly on our shoulders to go with us. Different groups. Uh, we did a school for the deaf in Arkansas. 
and the response was beyond what I ever dreamed. Uh, I have been doing this several times, many times actually. I worked for School for the Deaf. I uh, worked as a state director for the Deaf. And when I go places, I say, y'all have any questions? You know, hardly nobody will raise their hand, you know. Uh, they're kind of like sitting there picking the note and wondering where they're going to go for a pizza. And I'm like, gee, and you know, wasting my time driving all the way down here. But the group for the Deaf and Arkansas were part from um, the response. You know, I expected, I'd be, I'd be one student. The next thing you know, they lined up. I mean, really lined up. And it was just, I can't, maybe a dozen. And the questions that was asking was, I went back to my childhood. They're asking the exact question from the 1950s. The same question, because nobody answers them with the truth or guide them the best way they know how. All these kids wanted to be loved. And the question for our kids bringing up, how can I be more normal? So why do you want to be normal for that? You know, just be yourself, you know? What were the questions the kids were asking you? That same questions that you've heard over and over. Well, the most prominent one, even uh, the school uh, we did today, we go for the devs today in Ohio. I, and I get this all my time. I get this all the time, even in my lifetime. How, how do I stop people bullying me? I mean, I'm deaf. I'll always be deaf. Or I have a learning disability. Uh, you know, it's going to be with me the rest of my life. And these are kids looking for answers where they can wake up tomorrow with a tool in their hand, you know, that, you know, I'm okay. And so the most of the thing about being bullied and being treated differently, uh, they're being told, even today in the 2020, um, in my small town, there's a teacher put a boy in the back of the school with a, a crayon and a piece of paper. This is 2020. And he had a learning disability, and I, it breaks my heart. That, but it's going to be like that. Even today, there's people who hate certain cultures, certain religions, even in the 50s. And I go before back to Christ Day, but the majority of the question of kids asking about how to prevent from being bullied and um, how can I just be me? And so I try to give an example. And that's what I did today. I uh, did a public, a private school today, all hearing, uh, 425, which I just found out last night. I thought it would be like 30 maybe. Thanks to Paul, who gave me the whole number, and I walked in like, oh my goodness! And it was That's one, awesome. I mean, <laughs> no, it was a, it was a blast. I mean, even the response. Um, well, I'm I'm bragging here, but we got a standing ovation, you know. And it was just a blast. These are teenagers, okay. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, teenagers, don't, you know, they're sitting on their pad, iPod time, but they were just like, you know, I'm gonna say you hear a pin drop. I think that's what y'all say, but I can't hear anything. You drop the box, you know. <laughs> Uh, so you do a firecrack and I too wouldn't hear you. But the thing is, that's basically what everybody's asking. And uh, much with the children we had, the school for the deaf in Ohio was very moving because I may be wrong, Paul can answer this. I feel like more than 50% of them had more than one disability. Uh, they have Down syndrome, they have emotional, they were... The one guy he was telling me about, I love on my thoughts. He, I let him explain the last one, the blue shirt. He, he made my day because those are the students who cannot respond, even adults. So. Yeah, the, the young man he was talking about uh, was listening very intently the entire time. And uh, when it was over, he asked the person who assists him. He, needs, he has uh, physical mobility issues, and he had somebody to help uh, bring him over to ask Kenny some questions and meet him. And then when they were done and Kenny turned to walk away, Kenny, of course, couldn't hear this, but I watched a young man. He literally jumped up and down for joy and bounced around the whole gymnasium. He was just so happy he got to meet somebody 
who has some of his challenges and got to see how successful he could be. So that was really heartwarming to see. Well, and I'm thinking the audience, Kenny, might be wondering, you and I are holding this interview over Zoom, but you're responding and it, it sounds like you can hear me, but we know that you, you can't. So how are you doing this? Reading, he's reading lips. So if, if we didn't have you on the video screen there, I would have to be translating everything uh, for you. And I have airplanes, uh, what do y'all call these? Airplug. Uh, airplug. And uh, so um, you know, because of, if people could see it, you're really up there at the camera and you have beautiful lips. I might say I may get shot for it, but <laughs> you talk very well. I mean, you have a great lip movement, but a lot of people don't. And so Paul, is, because we don't have a sign interpreter, that's who I depend on. Paul is what you call an oilist. So I spent all my life oilers until 21 when I went to Gallaudet University to learn sign language. And now today, um, I'll be honest, I'll be first sign language. Yeah. So his hearing loss is in the 70 to 90 decibel range, which is pretty severe. But with earphones in, turned all the way up and reading your lips, he's able to navigate. Well, that's fantastic. And then I, I also think, and this was a question on my mind too, is how have you accomplished all that you have accomplished? You have a master's degree. You have, I mean, you have really gone a long ways. I mean, a lot of things that people with full abilities don't, are, are not able to do. So do you want to share a little bit about how you've accomplished that? I got that. Um, I get a lot of that question too. Um, I would say it's just the faith that my father gave me as a boy. I had a very short time with him. I didn't have to have a lot. My father died when I was eight. Uh, he died a week before Christmas. And five months later, my mother died. But I spent a great deal with father. I don't know. When you read the book, uh, you know, the tree dance and the beast dance, if people could just see that book and be there with me again, if you were the butterfly on my shoulder. My father really loved me. He really knew. He told me I'd be bullied. He said, you talk different. And he taught me words of language. Matter of fact, the, uh, I don't know, the one about uh, 7-Eleven, the fat woman. Um, my father would always put me in the spot and humiliate me. And, um, and <laughs> that so I would sound be, good. <laughs> well, actually, it wasn't. I mean, for a little boy, I said, Daddy, what are you doing? He said, you're going to see what it's like. And so he gave me a God of what I, wisdom, knowledge, and these little things that I take, because whenever, uh, after he passed away, my mother, then I had to hear things from my foster father, we taught it, dumb, stupid, you're worthless, you're not going to be nothing. And all I have to do is go back and close my eyes and hear my father's voice, oh, I couldn't hear it actually, but see him mumble, but it read his lips. <laughs> my father would be with me, he's buried in my heart, deeply. And of course, years later, I became a Christian, and my spirit is basically what gets me moving and going every day. So, Lori, if I if I could, let me add to that. So, first of all, the woman in the Seven Eleven, the the short story there is that as a six or seven year old boy, he saw an overweight woman in a store and called her fat, and so his dad forced him to walk up to her and apologize. And it was just to teach him the, a lesson. It was embarrassing for Kenny to go apologize, but he needed that embarrassment to learn the lesson that that's rude to, to talk about people that way. But I thought the, the better answer to your question, if you've got time, might be to ask him to tell you the, the tree dance story, because that shows what his father did to give him confidence that he could accomplish all of these things. I was thinking the same thing. Will you share that story with us, Kenny? Sure. I'll be honored. Um, that's a lot of popular requests for that one. I keep thinking 
to me, you know. My father was on the, was on the backdrop playing, and uh, father, again, I guess, he had the notion that he needed to learn another life lesson. So um, he said, hey, Kenneth, I love climbing trees. I'll be honest. I climb trees all the time. I'm a nature freak, a nature freak. And father said, I want you to climb the tree. And, I, and that was kind of an unusual request. So I got up far enough with that tree. He was pretty, he was kind of short, but he was able to lift me up. And I looked down and he said, I want you to keep going. Go to the top of the tree. And I'm thinking, you're nuts. But I wouldn't say that my father back in those days, you do not go back to your parents. They How old were you? How old were you? I was, I was seven. Okay. I was seven. And, uh, but it was like yesterday because it was the most greatest, uh, what I carry in my heart today. Uh, and let's give you an example how much I have faith in, in my father. Again, he would teach me a lesson that I never understood. I thought he was just trying to get rid of me. So I kept climbing and climbing. I got halfway and oh my gosh, the wind blew. The tree would be shaking a little bit. I looked at father and barely what I could see left because he'd become a little ant. He was becoming a bug. So what I last could see was his eyes. And it's the most, there's no description of it. Of his eyes, it's just a bunker. It's like I'm proud of you, boy. Get up there, you can do it. So I climbed to the very top, and I thought, I looked around, and I thought, oh my gosh, I could see my school, I could see the neighbors, and it was awesome. Oh, the birds were flying by, and I'm up there in heaven. And uh, I looked down, and uh, I thought that was kind of odd. Father was smiling. The officer and mama was up, but behind him, hitting him on the back and looking at me. Remember, kind of pointing me to come down, and I was waving. I didn't know what she wanted, but she was going around the tree, screaming, just yelling and waving her arm. Daddy was kind of smiling, watching her go around the tree, and she didn't really look so happy. So I, I tried to go back down and uh, came closer to the father, and there was mom. This time I can hear her noise. I can hear her making loud sounds. I'm, the point is. She was yelling, but to me, she was just whispering and, um, and going around the tree and this way and this way. And so finally, Daddy encouraged me to jump from the last branch. I did, and he called me, and Mama grabbed me and hung me, baby, baby. And then Father kind of split us. He goes, okay, baby, that's enough. And then she went into the house to get ready for supper. And I looked at Father, and I said, hey, Dad. And he goes, what is it? He said, you did great. What do you like? So I told him about what I had and what I saw up there. And he goes, good for you, son. And then he, then I, Daddy walked kind of away, and I said, hey, Dad. He goes, what is it? What's wrong with Mama? What you doing running around the tree and waving and dreaming and hitting you? It's called the tree dance, my boy. It's called the tree dance. <laughs> <laughs> story that I really loved in the book, which of course is just skipping all over the place, but um, your baptism by immersion story. Do you want to tell that one? Yeah. Okay. I, I'm going to have to shorten it because okay. it, it, if I can put it in a nutshell, my, 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 by that time, my parents had already passed away. We never went to church. I went to visit a church. And, and Jesse, my father's mother, uh, was what I call no days the Jesus freak, but I loved her to death. I wouldn't be what I am today without her. But she would poke me on the side because once a month they had baptistry at, at the church we were attending. And by the third month, they, were, they announced that we're going to do the full body emerged by the tree before the sprinkler. It was a mother to church. And I never knew what emerged was. I never seen it because they never opened a curtain. So I'm sitting here going, oh, I wonder what that is. And then Jesse, he made the announcement and 
I talk about the elbow, me, and I kind of looked at the elbow, and I stood up, I've got tired, of ribs. So I looked at her and said, I'm going to tell Jesus. She just started freaking out, you know, I'm like, she needs to get some friends. So I went to the front, and the pastor, to me, the child was like 10 feet tall and a monster, because I could he's a German, and his speech was very cracked up, I guess, whatever y'all call it, mixed language. Anyway, we met that night, and um, put on the white robe, you know, they're going to get baptized. And he lined it about five or six of us, lined it up, and wanted me to be first. Uh, biggest mistake he made. So I went first, because I never done this or seen it. He opened the door, and I see this beautiful pool, I mean, the water, beautiful blue, and a glass. And out in the audience, it was my, the church, and it was almost packed. And my father and mother stand with a big purse and wave, and I'm waving at her, and she goes, you know, she, she all she had to do is sign to me. It's like, pay attention, look at the preacher. So I said, okay. So I turned to the pastor, and he drove tall, and the light behind his head, so he's dark. I can't see his lips. And he goes, oh, all right, all right, I'm done. And pointed to the water, and then he put his arms up like this. If the audience can't see, he's praying with me. If that's what I thought it was. He prayed, yeah, I'm not yelling, blah, 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 blah. pointed to the water. Prayed, and I thought, oh, of course. So I stepped one foot forward in front of, on the step. And my father's mother started doing the next thing, like, no, 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 please don't, don't, no, 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 no. And I smiled and I went, I was so excited. So I looked up at the pastor. Okay. I waved my father's mother and I dived into the baptistry, swam to the other side. <laughs> and I came back up and praised the Lord, I'm saved. And so the water had actually, I didn't know it, my father's mother, I listened to the audience, she disappeared. And I'm like, where's Aunt Jancy? And she came up from behind the pew with one of them on top, one of them that pulled herself up. But boy, you, you know, just mouthing like, oh, you embarrassed me, my God. And then people were pointing straight ahead in the church laughing. And someone was like, oh, oh, I had horrible. And I'm like, I didn't know what it was. So I was there on the water. So I looked over the glass. Oh, my. That was where the choir was. Mrs. Martha got her hair all wet. So the water wave went over into the choir. And uh, Mitch Martin, or whatever the man's name is, an older man, his hair was hanging off his head and his face. And I thought, oh, my gosh, his hair's falling out. And so it happened again in another situation real quick. About that. So I kicked my leg, and the more water went over the side. And this time I looked down, the man just took his wig or whatever it was. I told him, hey, young man. And he just grabbed it and threw it on the floor and gave me the blah, 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 blah. And all the other women, oh, <laughs> the makeup one, that was hilarious. To, you know, seeing the makeup, I forgot to tell you about the makeup. And actually, that became scary when the makeup started going down the face. And I didn't think she was so hot looking with the makeup. And I thought, my God, she's not a clown after all. I'm joking. I'm, just, I'm having fun here. But uh, I'm going to get shot. But that's basically what the baptism was about. They're probably still, yeah, they're probably still telling that story at the church because that's got to be the best baptism ever. Just diving in and drenching the audience that's watching. Well, funny you say that because my daughter's stories I actually did in all the schools. That was one I kept and told. And the kids, oh, they could not. I told Paul on the way home today, I said, can y'all not grab what I did? I thought I could catch it. I, I had my hand up. The pastor kept doing this. And my father and mother were like, no, 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 no. And I thought the audience would know him. And they just good today. 425 kids just looking. And all of a sudden I went, and I died. They all just busted and grabbed them. Oh my God, laughing, da, da, da. And I'm like, I got this a long time ago. So <laughs> I love that. I, I, Matt, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be the first to know, and Paul, he doesn't know it, 20 minutes ago while he's setting up, 
my sister-in-law from Dallas, Texas. She's an agent. I love what they did. She said, what story did you tell? I'm just curious. I told her and I told the Baptist. And she went, one more sentence, big letter. Did you really dive in there, Kenneth? I go, yeah, Judy, the all true story. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I wish I was sitting there with Aunt Jesse. I would have loved to see that. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's that's when church gets interesting. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but I've been my own family. I'm like, gee. <laughs> well, you know, to the audience, the book Four Days with Kenny Tedford is full of these stories. Fabulous, wonderful, interesting stories that take you through his life and the lessons he's learned and the lessons he's taught. And I have a list of questions for Kenny that could go on. You know, I've got 12 more questions I'd love to address with you, which would put us into a couple hour time slot here. So as we as we close up here, tell us where we can get your book and where we can get the rest of those stories to read for ourselves. Yeah, so uh, you can get the book most of the places where you would buy books on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or in the you know the your local bookstore probably has it. You can learn more about uh, Kenny on his website which is kennytedford.com uh, and it's also on uh, my website which is leadwithastory.com uh, and and learn about Kenny's life for yourself and see how you can apply some of those lessons to your own to your own situation. And I will have all of those links in the show notes as well. So you can find those on loveyourstorypodcast.com. As we get ready to close out, guys, do you have any final messages or thoughts that you'd like to leave? Well, I tell everybody that told the kids, dream do come true and never give up. You know, it's hard. There's going to be a time when you just really want to surrender. But if you still just hang in there, dreams will come true. I waited 30 years for this book. And I, I still, I'm still pinch myself that it's happening. But if I can do it, I promise you anybody else can. You know, that makes me think of one of the stories in your book where when you were in elementary school and you drew that picture of yourself being a motivational speaker, standing in front of mm -hmm. a group of people and, you know, your teachers discouraged you and told you that you wouldn't be able to do that and, you know, to put that dream away. And now we see, you know, fast forward what is it? 40 50 years, 50 years. years. And he's and, doing it now. And you are doing it. So I love ending on that note because you're such an example of that. And, you know, listeners take that home, take that home to your children and to yourself and really internalize this idea that what you feel in your soul that you want to be, you know, what, what you know that you are, what you know you're supposed to do, stay true to that because dreams do come true when you work hard enough. That's Amen right. to that. Thanks for having us on your show. Thank you so much for being here, guys. My biggest personal takeaway from Kenny's stories as I read through this book, besides, of course, being pulled along through this lovely man's life, was the idea of parenting that I mentioned earlier. At one point in the book, Paul says, quote, it takes courage to put your children in a position to struggle. Without the struggle, there is no learning, quote. As a parent, this gave me room for thought and consideration. Another lesson that struck home was where Paul points out how Kenny accomplished all kinds of impressive things. And it boiled down to three things. One was hard work and dedication on Kenny's part. And the other was support and assistance of other people along the way. So doctors, therapists, friends, and, and being willing to accept that support. And the third was someone or something to inspire and motivate. Now, as I consider so many interviews with people overcoming big life challenges, 
This pattern is something I have seen over and over. So when Paul listed them out, I said, yes, that is it. This is the pattern I have seen over and over. So let me restate that. The first is hard work and dedication on the part of the person in the story. The second is support and assistance of others and not being too prideful to accept that. And the third is someone or something to inspire and motivate you. Just as I learned some lessons and got food for thought from Kenny's stories, I think you will too. I highly recommend the book, Four Days with Kenny Tedford. And like I mentioned, I'll have all the links to it. And I want to thank you for being here today. Your challenge this week is to think of a story in your life that you can share with someone that will lift and inspire and show an example of something that you want to share. Kenny is all about the storytelling and he lifts and inspires others by telling his life stories, which make us think about our own life stories like Paul and I talked about. It's all about the storytelling. This is how we communicate best as a species. So use it. Remember, loveyourstorypodcast.com. You can buy your Love Your Story t-shirts. They're super nice shirts for men or women. You can get links to all the 160 plus episodes that we've done over the past three and a half years. And you can get a link to get your own copy of my book, Life, Living Intentional and Fearless Every Day, The 21 Life Connection Challenges, which you can also look up on Amazon. If you love the show, please leave me a review. I'd sure appreciate it. And I'll see you in two weeks for the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.